What makes good sex good? <laughs> ah, great. The, the, the golden question. Trust and patience and talking. I wasn't scared to communicate what I wanted, and neither was she. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to a very special Valentine's Day edition of The Peak. Um, I am recording this on Valentine's Day morning. I just dropped my partner off at work, and yesterday on Instagram, we reached 100 followers. Thank all of you so much for helping me make that happen. Um, I'm so excited for season two. I'm excited about... Uh, my interview with Damien that I released on Monday, and all of the good things I have to share with you in the months to come. Today, I wanted to talk with you guys a little bit about Valentine's Day and my experience with Valentine's Day. I don't talk about myself very much on this show for a few reasons, the most important of which being This show isn't really about me. It's about other people's experiences with sex. And it's my job as the host to highlight them and highlight their stories. But today, I do not have a guest. It is just me in my recording studio, also known as my microphone on my desk in my bedroom. So as a child, I liked Valentine's Day as much as I liked any other holiday, except Halloween. Halloween was always number one. But I thought Valentine's Day was great. I liked trading Valentine's with my classmates and getting to eat lots of chocolate. Um, But then in the fifth grade, everything changed because on that Valentine's Day, I had a crush on a boy in my class. And life just goes downhill from there, let me tell (laughs) you. Um, but so I had a crush on a boy named Austin, and he looked like Peter Pan from the live-action version of the movie Peter Pan that came out in 2002. It was a very formative film for me as a child. Um, the Peter Pan in that movie had tousled blonde curls and tan skin, and Austin also had tousled blonde curls and tan skin. So... As much as an 11-year-old could be, I was in love with him, naturally, and I wanted to give him a personal Valentine. So the weekend before Valentine's Day, I made a Valentine for him with some sort of very embarrassing poem um, along the lines of, Roses are red, violets are blue. When I saw your face, I fell in love with you. Good stuff like that. I can't believe I'm telling on myself like this. Um, So the, the card was anonymous. I didn't say explicitly who it was from. Um, but I did leave a code because I was that type of child. Um, I wrote most of the poem in pink marker. But I did write one R, one O, one B, one Y, and one N in purple marker. 
And I did that, so if he wasn't really interested, he would probably just throw away the card. Um, and But if he was interested, if he wanted to know the truth, he would spend a little more time with it. And then he would realize that it was me, and he would, I don't know what I thought he would do. I thought that he would come and say, I love you too, be my girlfriend, or something. Well, so the day of Valentine's Day arrives, and I inconspicuously slip my Valentine to Austin into his desk. And after 30 minutes or so, he finds it and he like shouts, oh my God. And all of his friends come over and everyone in the class gathers around Austin and is looking at this Valentine. And they're all laughing so hard. And I am just like as red as a candy heart. I am, I realize that I've made a fatal, dire mistake. And I'm just like, oh no, well, hopefully no one will be smart enough to figure out that the letters of my name <laughs> are all in a different color. Um, and then someone else, not even Austin, realized that that was the case and that the card was for me. So this kid, his name was like, Drew or Michael or something. He goes, the card's from Robin. Robin has a crush on you. And I go into full denial. I'm like, I've never seen that before. Hi, I have no idea what that is. Someone must be playing a prank. I would never do anything so stupid and vulnerable. <laughs> Joke's on you guys. Um, I don't think anyone believed me. I did have one ally in class, this girl, Courtney, who was like, no, I think my friend, my friend made that. I put that card in there. Um, I don't know why she put Robin's name on it. Haha, <laughs> weird. Well, needless to say, I was traumatized. I was very disappointed. Um, Austin and I did not become boyfriend and girlfriend, probably all for the better because we were 11. Um, but I, it did spoil Valentine's Day for me for a few years. You know, after that, I went into middle school and on Valentine's Day, I would wear a black Potter Puppet Pals t-shirt to express my disinterest in Valentine's Day. I just, I, I was not, I wouldn't take part in any of it. The whole thing was just no longer my scene. Um... You know, I was I was wounded. I didn't want to be vulnerable on Valentine's Day again. I'd been hurt before. Didn't want to go there. Well, there is another event that happens around Valentine's Day every year, and that is V-Day, um, which are events that are put on around the country uh, where women and people with vaginas read the vagina monologues. And my mom took me to see the vagina monologues for the first time when I was 14, and let me tell you, I was stunned and embarrassed and thrilled and inspired by the vagina mon by the vagina monologues. Um, I was I I was very happy that my mother had taken me, and I knew pretty immediately as someone who grew up being involved in theater that when I was old enough, I wanted to be in the vagina monologues. I wanted to be on stage reading one of those iconic monologues. Well, so years went by. 
I went to college and for one reason or another, I never made it to the tryouts for my school's production of the vagina monologues. Um, I was either busy or I had a conflict. Uh, it never worked out. And when I graduated, I thought that my opportunity to be in the vagina monologues had passed me by. It was too late. I would never recite a vagina monologue. Well, a few weeks ago, my friend Stephanie reached out to me and told me that the San Antonio Public Library was going to be doing a free performance of the vagina monologues, and anyone who wanted to could sign up and choose their monologue and perform. And I was ecstatic, and I knew exactly what monologue I wanted to read. I wanted to read The Little Coochie Snorter That Could. Um, I remember hearing that monologue for the first time when I was 14, and it was, it was powerful. It talked about trauma. It talked about sexual shame and sexual assault, but it also talked about pleasure and specifically lesbian sex and the pleasure that comes with that. It was my first exposure to the idea of queer sex and what that would even look like and how that would even work. Um, it was definitely some formative information for me eventually coming out as queer and like feeling comfortable in my own queer identity. Um, but so for the rest of this episode, I would like to read to you the monologue that I performed on Wednesday at the San Antonio Public Library. But so I'll start by reading the introduction. And this is from the V-Day edition of the Vagina Monologues by Eve Ensler. I do not have the rights to the Vagina Monologues. I do not own them. I am reading this under fair use. Um, and hopefully Eve Ensler and her lawyers will approve and not make me take this down. Hopefully. Quick content warning. This monologue does include descriptions of sexual assault, and a rather questionable age difference between some of the characters. Um, but if that sounds like something you can handle listening to, please enjoy. For the last 10 years, I have been actively involved with women who have no homes. Women we call homeless people, so we can categorize and forget them. I have done all kinds of things with these women, who have become my friends. I run recovery groups for women who have been raped or suffered incest, and groups for women addicted to drugs and alcohol. I go to the movies with these women. I have meals with them. I hang out. Over the past 10 years, I have interviewed hundreds of women. In all that time, I have met only two who were not subjected to incest as young girls or raped as young women. I have evolved a theory that for most of these women, home is a very scary place, a place they have fled, and that the shelters where I meet them are the first places many of them ever find safety, protection, or comfort in the community of other women. This monologue is one woman's story as she told it to me. I met her about five years ago in a shelter. I would like to tell you it's an unusual story, brutal, extreme, but it's not. In fact, it's not nearly as disturbing as many of the stories I've heard in the years since. Poor women suffer terrible sexual violence that goes unreported. 
Because of their social class, these women do not have access to therapy or other methods of healing. Their repeated abuse ultimately eats away at their self-esteem, driving them to drugs, prostitution, AIDS, and in many cases, death. Unfortunately, fortunately, this particular story has a different outcome. This woman met another woman in that shelter and they fell in love. Through their love, they got out of the shelter system and have a beautiful life together today. I wrote this piece for them, for their amazing spirits, for the women we do not see, who hurt and who need us. The Little Coochie Snorcher That Could Memory December 1965, five years old. My mama tells me in a scary, loud, life-threatening voice to stop scratching my coochie snorcher. I become terrified that I scratched it off down there. I do not touch myself again, even in the bath. I am afraid of the water getting in and filling me up so I explode. I put band-aids over my coochie snorcher to cover the hole, but they fall off in the water. I imagine a stopper, a bathtub plug up there to prevent things from entering me. I sleep with three pairs of Happy Heart patterned cotton underpants underneath my snap-up pajamas. I still want to touch myself, but I don't. Memory, seven years old. Edgar Montaigne, who is ten, gets angry at me and punches me with all his might between my legs. It feels like he breaks my entire self. I limp home. I can't pee. My mama asks me what's wrong with my coochie snorcher, and when I tell her what Edgar did to me, she yells at me and says to never let anyone touch me down there again. I try to explain that he didn't touch it, mama. He punched it. Memory. Nine years old. I play on the bed, bouncing and falling, and impale my coochie snorcher on the bedpost. I make high-pitched, screamy noises that come straight from my coochie snorcher's mouth. I get taken to the hospital, and they sew it up down there from where it's been torn apart. Memory. Ten years old. I'm at my father's house, and he's having a party upstairs. Everyone's drinking. I'm playing alone in the basement, and I'm trying on my new white cotton bra and panties that my father's girlfriend gave me. Suddenly, my father's best friend, this big man Alfred, comes up from behind and pulls my new underpants down and sticks his big, hard penis into my coochie snorcher. I scream. I kick. I try to fight him off, but he's already in. Suddenly, my father's there, and then he has a gun, and there's a loud, horrible noise, and then there's blood all over Alfred and me. Lots of blood. I'm sure my coochie snorcher is finally falling out. Alfred is paralyzed for life, and my mama doesn't let me see my father for seven years. Memory. Thirteen years old. My coochie snorcher is a very bad place. A place of pain, nastiness, punching, invasion, and blood. It's a site for mishaps, 
It's a bad luck zone. I imagine a freeway between my legs, and girl, I am traveling, going far away from here. Memory, 16 years old. There is this gorgeous 24-year-old woman in our neighborhood, and I stare at her all the time. One day, she invites me into her car. She asks me if I like to kiss boys, and I tell her I do not like that. Then she says she wants to show me something, and she leans over and kisses me so softly on the lips with her lips, and then she puts her tongue in my mouth. (laughs) Wow. She asks me if I want to come over to her house, and then she kisses me again, and she tells me to relax, to feel it, to let our tongues feel it. (laughs) She asks my mama if I can spend the night, and my mother's delighted that such a beautiful, successful woman has taken an interest in me. I'm scared, but really, I can't wait. Her apartment's fantastic. She's got it hooked up. It's the 70s, the beads, the fluffy pillows, the mood lights. I decide right there that I want to be a secretary like her when I grow up. She makes a vodka for herself, and then she asks what I want to drink. I say the same as she's drinking, and she says she doesn't think my mama would like me drinking vodka. I say she probably wouldn't like me kissing girls either. And the pretty lady makes me a drink. Then she changes into this chocolate satin teddy. She's so beautiful. I always thought bulldaggers were ugly. I say, you look great. And she says, so do you. I say, but I only have this white cotton bra and underpants. Then she dresses me slowly in another satin teddy. It's lavender, like the first soft days of spring. The alcohol has gone to my head, and I'm loose and ready. I notice that there's a picture over her bed of a naked black woman with a huge afro as she gently and slowly lays me out onto the bed. And just our bodies rubbing makes me come. Then she does everything to me and my coochie snorcher that I always thought was nasty before. And wow... (laughs) I'm so hot, so wild. She says, your vagina, untouched by man, smells so nice, so fresh. I wish I could keep it that way forever. And I get crazy wild. And then the phone rings. And of course, it's my mama. I'm sure she knows. She catches me at everything. I'm breathing so heavy and I try to act normal when I get on the phone. And she asks me, what's wrong with you? Have you been running? I say, no, mama, exercising. (laughs) Then she tells the beautiful secretary to make sure I'm not around boys. And the lady tells her, trust me, there's no boys around here. Afterward, the gorgeous lady teaches me everything about my coochie snorcher. She has me play with myself in front of her, and she teaches me all the different ways to give myself pleasure. She's very thorough. (laughs) She tells me to always know how to give myself pleasure so I'll never need to rely on a man. In the morning, I'm worried that I've become a butch because I am in love with her. 
She laughs, but I never see her again. I realized later that she was my surprising, unexpected, politically incorrect salvation. She transformed my sorry-ass coochie snorcher and raised it up into a kind of heaven. And that is the little coochie snorcher that could. Um, I was trying to channel Dolly Parton when I was reading it because... Um, in the character description, it says a Southern woman of color, and I didn't really feel comfortable trying to speak in an African-American dialect, but I can for sure channel Dolly Parton. Um, and I love that story. Um, I will say I feel differently about it now than I did when I first heard it at 14. When I was 14, I was just like, wow, that sounds sexy and amazing. Um, now I'm like, um, excuse me. A 24-year-old really has no business giving alcohol and seducing a 16-year-old. Um, that's super not appropriate, possibly predatory. Uh, but given the context of the monologue, um, given that it is a real woman's story, this happened to someone, and this event, out of all of the other sexual or just simply experiences she had had involving her vagina or her coochie snorcher, um, every other experience had been traumatic. And this was the first time she found the joy of her body and found her pleasure. Um, so although it's for sure ethically problematic, um, it does call itself politically incorrect, so it's self-aware. Um, but I still think it's a good, it's a good story. And it's a story of redemption and healing in the messy ways that we do. I am so thankful for the vagina monologues and for Eve Ensler. Um, I think she's an amazing artist and playwright and performer. And as I've been working on the peak and working on my vagina monologue, I realized that Eve Ensler is a sort of creative foremother of mine. Um, and the vagina monologues made way for the work that I do with The Peak. They are both projects that are based on conducting interviews with people and inviting people to talk openly about their bodies, about sex, and about intimacy and love. Um, and I'm very excited to be continuing that work and creating that space. So just thank you, Eve Ensler. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting The Peak. Um, and happy Valentine's Day to all of you. Thanks for listening to The Peak, which was hosted and produced by me, Robin Wheelock. Our theme music was produced by Johnny Manchild of Johnny Manchild and the Poor Bastards. You can follow The Peak on Facebook or on Twitter and Instagram at Listen to the Peak. For more information, visit us at thepeak.blueberry.net. That's thepeak.blubrry.net. If you want to support The Peak, you can make a contribution to our Coffee, Venmo, or PayPal accounts so that we can make better and more frequent episodes for you. You can also support us by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes.
or wherever it is you listen. Thank you.